The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Ahoy hoy, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his constant gardener, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 96 of The Big Picture for the week beginning February 26. And coming up on today's show... The most unique Oscars predictions ever and the top five Oscar crimes, part two. Plus, what your teens really think and Matt Damon versus Aliens in The Great War. (laughs) What? Matt Damon versus Aliens? I'm just telling you now, you'll have to wait and you probably will be unhappy you did. Whoa, that's an actual movie, The Great War? The Great Wall. Oi. Hello, Sam. Up Hi. Hi. Join us hey, on this Sam. as we marvel over It's such over a Matt- mixed bag. I was just listening to that thinking, what is going on? I know. Oh. Matt Damon, they have me at Matt Damon versus Aliens. We'll then be again- pulling it all out this show. It's fantastic. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's get into what's happening in cinemas this week. What can we see at the movies? Fist fight. We can go and see Fist Fight. There is a movie called Fist Fight. Oh, it is right. at cinemas now. I thought you were just basically you're talking about the popcorn line on a Thursday oh, right. night. You thought I was calling you, <laughs> calling you out Get of the out popcorn of line. Way. No, no. Fist Fight starring Ice Cube, that rapper turned actor, and Charlie Day, who was in the Horrible Bosses movies. Fist Fight is about adult teachers taking it outside in the schoolyard. This is a real movie about adults behaving like children. Fist Fight. You can go and check that out now at cinemas if you care. And then this coming <laughs> Thursday... Logan, Wolverine Returns, the latest X-Men mm. film is here. But judging by the trailers, it looks a little bit more indie realism and a lot more grunts in this story. I haven't actually seen this. Very keen to check it out. And you'll be talking about it on the show in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I it know, is Mark. a really, really good film. I've had oh, you've a, seen I've it? I've had a secret preview. It, it, you've got to it, tune in for that it show. It turns out, Sam, that Mark is way more important than you and I. And he's already <laughs> seen the latest X-Men film and he'll be sharing his thoughts in upcoming shows. But he can't possibly reveal it now because he's too special <laughs> no, than us. He's so been teasing it. I better actually just stop talking about Logan that's at cinemas this Thursday and just hand things back to you guys. Just right. address it to my agent. We'll get back to the small screen, Mark Hadley. What's on at the, at the TV that we can all watch? Uh, okay, well, this <laughs> Saturday, 4th of March at 6pm on the ABC, Compass Returns. And did I say Saturday? Yes, I did. Because the ABC's weekly ethics and religion program is back, not only in a new time slot, but also a new host. Kumi Taguchi takes the baton from Geraldine Duke, and the first program is an interview about her life and work. Well, okay, I guess you've got to start somewhere, uh, revealing why she is the perfect person for the job. Well, in addition to her new role, Kumi continues as news anchor on ABC News 24. And tomorrow, Channel 9, the 89th Academy Awards. Do you guys spend you know special Academy Awards time with your family? I'm no. usually it's always the middle of the day. It's always hard to get to a TV. We take the children out of school. <laughs> we dress, <laughs> we dress them up. Do you? Uh, in no, special, no, I, special I, frocks, which is a little disturbing since they're all boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just well, it's on twelve thirty. You could possibly miss the first two hours, to be honest. If you're not interested in the red carpet event, we won't be. And the endless commentary on who's dressed by Vera Wang. It will run for at least oh, till four p.m. So stock up on the popcorn. <laughs> Who will you be wearing tomorrow, Mark Hadley? I personally will be wearing a chiffon number mm. off the shoulder. I feel I've been working very hard on this one myself. I won't reveal anything until my Facebook photos come out. I've heard okay. it's big in Paris. All right, how about some entertainment news other than the red carpet at the Hadley's house? Well, speaking of Academy Awards, because it is dominating a lot of movie talk this week, and we're very soon going to get on to the best, most unique 
Oscars preview ever. Before mm-hmm. we get there, just a little snippet about the host of this year's Academy Awards, Jimmy Kimmel, who I think isn't as well known in Australia as he is in the US. He's got a TV show over there, a late night one, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Why can't people think of like more like entertaining names and just putting their own name up into the, the name of the show? And the man is putting, the brand. Putting live. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's already admitted, gentlemen, that he's um, having some recurring stress dreams about this job that he's taking on tomorrow. He keeps waking up at 3.30 in the in the, the day of the show. He hasn't prepared a monologue. Oh, no. And in another in another dream, he the teleprompter doesn't work. The nightmares, the nightmares. Who knows, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen on the day, but tune in tomorrow from 12.30 and find out when Jimmy Kimmel takes on the Academy Awards. And as you know, we've reviewed hidden figures in last week's show. Well, this week, it's rocketed to the top of the Australian box office. Do you think uh, that's because we reviewed it? I believe we did give it a little push. Mm, I mm. feel that people are probably going, yeah, you know, Mark and Ben. <laughs> and Sam was not disagreeing. Okay, so it's earned a stellar $3.25 million for the weekend, soaring above the opening of The Great Wall. <laughs> oh, that we're about to talk about later show. Matt Damon versus Alien. I'm just going to reserve judgment, but I don't see any reason why that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's total box office so far is $4.84 million, but which is just like a, a, a spit in the spittoon uh, for the US market, which has earned $142 million so far, making it the highest grossing Best Picture Oscar nominee for the year. Mm. That's exciting, isn't it? It is. it is. It is one to watch if you have not watched it. But well, not as exciting as... Well, it is Oscars season. You might be wondering what you're after, uh, up to, actually, tomorrow after midday. I think we've already sorted that out there, I'll Sam. be eating lunch. <laughs> Mark, well, Mark's going to be in shift. I'm watching the he Academy Awards. Maybe others will be doing the same. Yes, because tomorrow the 89th Academy Awards ceremony is going to be beamed live from Hollywood into your TV screens and also on Twitter, I heard. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You can watch it on Twitter. You can look at it on a Twitter stream. Why That's would you right. watch something that big on something so small? Oh, well, anyway, well, there'll be glitz, there'll be glamour, there'll be little golden statues of men with monobrows, but there will also be a fair degree of buffoonery. What a night, ladies and gentlemen. Best actor category is unbelievable. Great names in acting. Dustin Hoffman. Robert Duvall. Peter Fonda. Of course, Jack. Matt Damon must feel like he's playing on the seniors tour. <laughs> Matt and Ben, you are the one. Your script was tight and damn it, so are your buns. You're a hit, it's clear to see, and you haven't yet hit puberty. I hate you both. Matt and Ben, Yes, the delightful <laughs> Billy Crystal serenading a young Matt Damon and some other guy. <laughs> and the hours to go until we find out who has won these treasured gold statues. You guys, Ben and Mark, uh, thought that you'd do something a little bit different today. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Here comes the Alternate Academy Awards preview. Bum, 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 the awards we should be handing out this year. Yeah. And the first category, Mark, in the Alternate Academy Awards is... The topic most likely to be referenced. What do you mean by this this new category that you're introducing? Every year, there's always been some topic, right, okay, that they reference, add noise, and the people get up and and say their bit and wave their little flag about, okay? We've had the environment. We've had, well, you know, quite rightly, struggling black actors and actresses. We've had gun gun control, the gay lobby. Even God has got a year, okay? But this year's won't be able to go to awards without mentioning it. Award goes to... Donald Trump is, in fact, going to probably dominate. 
The next category is the most obvious Oscar bait in of our course. alternative Academy Awards. The most obvious Oscar bait. Oscar bait uh, is that kind of movie or performance that you basically think was just engineered so someone could win that little gold statue. And I believe the winner should be, if this was up in the Academy Awards, Hidden Figures. Mm. You just mentioned how well Hidden Figures is doing with critics and audiences. That's true. But there is a real checklist of Oscar bait going on in Hidden Figures. It's a true life tale. Tick. Women facing inequality, tick. Mm. Racial prejudice, tick. Big speeches, chick. It's got a feel-good vibe mixed with serious sincerity. Tick, 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 tick. Is there a killer soundtrack? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. So, <laughs> gentlemen. There lack of CGI. <laughs> there is. There okay. is. Didn't you hear the bit about serious sincerity but a feel-good vibe? Yes. That's right. If they the winner can... of the most obvious Oscar bait this year does go to Hidden Figures. Let's have a look at our next alternate Academy Award. The role Meryl Streep should have played. <laughs> I believe that this is a film, this is a the, standard award. Yeah, because I Mer- was actually going to say the the best way for Oscar bait is just to put Meryl Streep in your movie. That's like, right. Okay, yeah. so Meryl Streep. I think it's actually in the Constitution, the Academy Awards. They've got a nominator every year anyway. Yes. yes. So we should actually have an award, Meryl Streep's award. You know, the inaugural role Meryl Streep should have played. Um, could she have done Emma Stone's role in La La Land? Yes, she could have done that. Sure, she of could. Of course, she could have played Mia Dillon. Could she have played Jackie in Jackie Kennedy? You know, Jackie Kennedy in Jackie? I'm surprised she didn't. I don't. I, why did they stoop to Natalie Portman? They could have had Meryl Streep. But no, they're all too safe for Meryl. I'm thinking of the pivotal role in Arrival. Oh, you're thinking Amy Adams should have been bumped from Arrival? No, I'm (laughs) not talking about Amy Adams. I'm talking about the alien species. I think... (laughs) Meryl could have carried off an alien species on stilts in a huge black leotard, giving her real heart to that sort of sort of rap. You know when they do that and they come up against the glass? In Arrival, Meryl yes. could have really delivered that in a way she that would have, have been Oscar-worthy. She could have made that sing. The least likely to win is the next category in our alternate Academy Awards preview. Least likely to win, and I'm saying La La Land is the least likely film to win at this year's Academy Awards. And Tell me why. Here's why. It could repeat what happened to The Colour Purple many, many years ago. Colour Purple was nominated for 11 nominations and it sounded like that was massive Oscar bait that should never have lost. It was about racial issues in the States. Steven Spielberg directed it. Mm. Whoopi Goldberg was in it and that's when she was massive. 11 nominations, nothing. Nothing. I think there's mm. a curse of having too many nominations and I think La La Land may possibly suffer from it in tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's ceremony, so the least likely to win, I'm saying La La Land. Do you think that people basically look at their little card, they're ticking, they go, oh, yeah, I'll just tick that in the next one. Yeah, <laughs> because <it's>, no, no, no. <laughs> and they no, never tick it at never, all. No one ticks it enough. Well, okay, here's our next alternate Academy Award, and that is... The movie that really deserves an Oscar as opposed to all those other ones that probably will pick it up. And here is my thought. Now, it's interesting to note that Meryl Streep's Florence Foster Jenkins actually has been nominated. Uh, Meryl Streep has been nominated for her performance as Best Actress. Of course. That film comes in at 82 on Rotten Tomatoes' aggregated reviews, 100 films of 2016. So, number 82. What comes in at number 8 and has received no nominations whatsoever? What's that? Love and Friendship. Oh, it's a great movie. I know. The story of a Ryan calculating Lady Susan who won't be uh, let a little thing like morals get in the way of her search for a suitably rich and stupid husband. Look, 
Love and Friendship is probably one of the cleverest, funniest, and certainly most gorgeous-looking films of 2016, but sadly, it's British. And because it's British... So much of that has sealed its fate. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been British films that have trumped that that particular setback as far as the Academy Awards are concerned. But honestly, I think sometimes they would look at British films and go, best foreign film, and that might be a better chance. Look, uh, Love and Friendship will not get an Academy Award. It will not earn a golden monobrow, but it has gained my special appreciation. I hope it earns yours. Mark and Sam, before we get on to the rest of the show, one final alternate Academy Award to present, and this is in the category of the Box Office Plain Truth Award, which is basically what was massive at the box office last year and what hasn't really been nominated for awards this year. And that movie that dominated the box office last year... Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm. It made, oh, you know, like a lazy $1 billion or something around the world. It's only been nominated for sound Sitting mixing and visual effects. Now, sound mixing and visual effects would probably win in those categories, but basically didn't really come up for uh, up for awards at all. But go back to the bit where who probably cares because they've got a, million dollars, a billion dollars in the bank. So the box office playing Truth Award easily goes to Rogue One, a Star Wars story this year. And... It's Rogue Wars, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is still showing at some cinemas around the place. You can catch it on screens around you. And as we've already mentioned, the 89th Academy Awards will be screening on Channel 9 live at 12.30 p.m. from tomorrow. And it's repeated tomorrow evening on 9 Jam at around 7.40. All right. Well, coming up on The Big Picture, an Oscar nominee to sing about and also what your kids really think about Year 12 in the TV show. Year 12, I think that's what it's called. And also a stuntman from Guardians of the Galaxy shares what's better than big screen action. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's Academy Award time and each year the best soundtracks stand a hope of winning their own golden monobrow to join the ranks of songs like My Heart Will Go On from Titanic or Am I a Man or a Muppet? Another great <laughs> the, I, I winner. Like that. I, I really love that mm. song. Um, nominated this year... Audition from La La Land, The Fools Who Dream. And it's sweet and it's lovely and honestly it's far too slow for a swinging show <laughs> like The Big Picture. So we settled on its CD sister song, this one. Every door. And even when the answer 
the opening track to La La Land, Another Day of Sun. The ensemble number portrays drivers in a Los Angeles traffic jam on a highway ramp singing and dancing about their aspirations to succeed in Hollywood. It included 30 dancers and 100 extras, and it was filmed over two days on the off-ramp of an LA freeway in 38-degree heat. So it was Ooh. indeed another day and another day in the sun. <laughs> it's actually composed by Justin Hurwitz and lyrics by Ben Pasek and Justin Paul. And Justin Paul wanted to create a song that was full of joy and hope, but was also full of the Hollywood irony that sunny days are also the worst days of your life. What is the hardest thing that any of us can do? Bench press 110 kilograms. <laughs> give birth? There's no oh, way. Okay, you can fine. give birth? No, we can't give birth. Have you tried bench pressing 110 kilograms? No. I can do 105. Oh. Mm. All right. Fun fact about Mark Hadley. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, apparently, according to a whole lot of Year 12 students, it's the HSC. Mm. Oh, that. Mm. Yes. And so a new ABC TV series is documenting 14 students as they navigate Year 12. So for what your kids are watching this week, Ben went back to school to find out firsthand what the kids these days are dealing with. Year 12 is definitely a bit daunting, a bit exciting, a bit of mixed emotions about it. What I really want to do is just have fun. I have three sisters and an older brother. I play softball and I also play ultimate frisbee. My last year of school hopefully pass, so I don't have to do it again next year. And then when I finally leave school, I want to become a full-time plumber, maybe in the future own my own company, and make some good money. My Year 12 Life is a vlogumentary series. Oh, a I love that word. vlogumentary series. What's that video blog documentary? Something like yes. that's how, that's how now is that, <laughs> is that term? Vlogumentary. Uh, 14 students have been picked from across Australia. They're coming from everywhere, from Kununurra in remote Western Australia, suburban Melbourne. You've got rural SA to New South Wales Central Coast. These 14 students are recording these personal confessions slash diaries um, across an entire year of their Year 12 life. This is all made... This is all filmed last year and now been edited up into a series that's um, on ABC at the moment three nights a week for half, in half hour blocks like kind of swirling around all these 14 different students so basically it's Survivor without the island <laughs> no one as yet has been voted off <laughs> okay well look be honest what did you think when you saw promos for my year 12 life it's not it's not so much what I thought Mark it's what I did I just rolled my eyes I like I'm like great like this is what the world needs more now you in gave this, a teenage response is that in this I think a very teenage response in this age of where it seems like um, anybody can start a, a website or a YouTube channel or whatever it is and you can bleat on, you can moan on about your life and a lot of teenagers are doing that. I thought that's what my year 12 life was going to be like is just a bunch of kids quote unquote moaning and whinging and carrying on about how hard their lot is. That's what I thought when I headed into my year 12 life. Okay, well, what did you think after you watched the program? I, I really quite liked it. <laughs> okay, I really, I, I did. I, um, I think uh, what, I've thought about a lot of the things behind the scenes as opposed to what was actually happening on screen. What was happening on screen is quite interesting. It turns out like the, what the kids are dealing with now, what the teenagers are dealing with now, is a lot like when I was a teenager. Just some some things have changed, particularly when it comes to uh, everything from the society that they're living in to technology, all those kind of things. But fundamentally, a lot of the issues that remain for them, everything from identity and relationships to future and family are all are all the same but i kept thinking a lot about what it would have taken to put this 
um, production together. And as much as that sounds like a really smart idea, you get a bunch of teenagers to shoot their own material and then they give it to you and you can create a series out of it. It's like quite an effective business model. The people that would have had to pick the the, uh, the teenagers involved and the guidance they would have attempted to give them and then also the editing job that it's taken to get this all packaged up, I was really quite impressed with because the show doesn't become a massive whinge fest or it doesn't become like a bunch of entitlement um, segments that I thought a lot of young people today might be sharing with us. So I was really quite impressed. Sounding quite the curmudgeon. I, am, I, am so, okay. I sound way older so, than my like 41 years. So old, Ben. Um, why do you think people keep tuning back in? Well, like one of the reasons I think is that reality TV still remains big. So it's not surprising that ABC concocted uh, this kind of idea for a show. And this is like really real and sometimes like really painfully so and quite dorky and awkward. I was quite amazed at how candid some of the young people were that are part of this series, given they know that they're not just on camera, but they know how this is going to be presented later on in a documentary about them demonstrating something about what it's like at the moment going through year 12. I was really quite impressed that they weren't just being pretentious and showboaty, but they also weren't that self-conscious either. And they, they reveal a lot of things to do with everything from their friends to how they feel about their mum and dad. That's really like quite amazing. But I wasn't quite gripped by it either. And I'm not sure that other people will be Two. So what will keep people tuning in? I'm not exactly sure, even though it's a really clever idea for a program. It does give you a lot of insights into a variety of um, uh, uh, different places in Australia, uh, different ethnic groups, uh, different like family backgrounds. You get all that kind of thing. But what's going to keep people coming back? I don't know. I watched the first couple of episodes and they cover a lot of territory. But how it's going to stop being repetitive, I presume, is going to come down to the kind of dramas that will ensue across the year of someone's life. The unexpected stuff that you just can't see coming from a long distance off. Not to mention that great big cataclysm, the HSC. <laughs> the yeah. HSC. Yeah. Now, I'm guessing that this is good for not just kids to watch, but also parents. Is there something that parents can take away from watching Year 12 Life? Yeah, I think there's uh, there could be a negative that you could take away from it, and a po- among other things. Uh, here's a negative and here's a positive. On the negative, I think with parents watching this, and I, I would recommend parents sitting down watching it with their kids because it could really prompt like some great discussions about what's happening in your own home life, particularly if your child is going through Year 12 at the moment. Or this maybe might, Year 11. Or maybe Year 11, that's right. Yeah. This would be a really good mm-hmm. catalyst for that. But on the negative, uh, parents maybe they could get too worried about what's going on in their life with their child. So they see something that's happening on screen and it, it could be to do with you know anything from drinking to someone losing interest in my year 12 life as seen on screen losing interest in school and a parent watching this show starting to freak out that maybe their own child that's happening to them right now right at this moment and and goodness me I think it could be a negative you get all concerned and worried and pent up but you should just kind of turn in your lounge room or in your house and speak (laughs) with your 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 child who's going through year year 11 year 12 and actually talk about the issues that are going on rather than freaking yourself out by what's up on screen um on a positive note uh there's plenty of things to take from it one short one is yeah you can have a good conversation i think out of my year 12 life and i would imagine particularly the longer it goes along there'll be more things to discuss but for me the whole show raises that that great concept that great part of life where you get down to the pointy bit of what's really important and what am i going to invest in and 
as we see, as the, these guys are documented across the year of year 12, there's a lot of these students that are really reflecting hard on what they're putting their time into in year 12 and where they're headed and what is this all about. And their parents too were thinking that as well. So it's a really good opportunity to talk about what actually is important. And is it getting good marks? Is it getting into university? Is it getting into that apprenticeship? Is it trying to form this, uh, this future here on earth that you can really map out from year 12? Or could there be something more? Could there be something more to this existence that reflects not just here, what I do here now, but into eternity, if eternity exists? So for me, my year 12 life was something of a bit of a springboard for parents and for kids to think really hard, not just about what, was, what do we find is important now, but what's important into the future, and then how does that shape what you're going to do now, including if you're going through the HSC? Okay, well, My Year 12 Life is rated PG and airs every Monday to Wednesday on ABC Me at 7.30. Catch up on past episodes on ABC iView. One thing I couldn't find out about My Year 12 Life, gentlemen, is how long it's running. Like, it seems like it's probably going to run for a whole year. They must have heaps of material, but I, I don't know. So it seems like indefinitely it's going to be on Mondays and Wednesdays on ABC Me at 7.30. So if you lack a Year 12 child, just tune in and get your own. <laughs> That's right. Now, speaking of all things digital and being down with what the kids are doing, chaps, we're on Facebook. The Big Picture Show is on Facebook. And what you should do is you should like us, because if you don't like us already, <laughs> I don't know why you don't like us, and you should really like us. What's we wrong want to be with liked. you? That's right. So like why are we us. not likable? <laughs> <laughs> Find us, The Big Picture Show. Like us. Tell your friends to like us because that will boost the way our content will ripple out across the Facebook so we can constantly share the good news of taking a closer look at pop culture. We give you permission to two-screen it. Whilst you're listening to the program right now, why don't you like us now? All right, we're well, coming up on The Big Picture. A very special guest, a real-life stuntman who has worked on Marvel films. That's actually true. He has. And he's going to talk about what really fires him up. And also Matt Damon plus aliens plus ancient China equals the Great Wall. But we'll find out just how great it is. Welcome back. Well, lads, Pirates of the Caribbean 5 is coming out this year. <sighs> yeah? Five. Yep. So is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, yeah, okay. that's Not right. so impressive. I'm sure they'll get to five, though. Yeah. These are massive, massive blockbusters. And you know what? We Ooh. have a guy, a stuntman, Will Harper, who has worked on both of these movies. Both of them. So for Press Record this week, Ben, you manned up and spoke with Will about what it takes to be a real action man and what could be better than being part of Blockbusters. Will Harper, I'm sitting with you and you are a real-life stuntman, which is pretty exciting. I've never met a stuntman, stuntwoman before. Can you just let us know a little bit about the movies that you've been working on in the last four or five years? Well, let's see. We have Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, uh, Iron Man 2 and 3, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and this latest one is uh, Pacific Rim number 2. And were you involved with Pirates of the Caribbean 5 as well? Yeah, I forgot about that little... <laughs> but you just you just forget some of these big blockbuster, epic fantasy superhero Marvel movies that you work on? Well, yeah, I guess it's probably not the most important thing in my life, uh, but it is pretty exciting. It's, it's an awesome business, but there's something way better than that. Before I get to what the way better thing is, I also want to confirm you're the guy who doubled for Sylvester Stallone in the original Rambo where he does his motorcycle chase across the town where he's, when he's trying to escape. That's true? That's true. I, I can actually remember back that far as a long time ago. Pirates of the Caribbean 5 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 are coming out this year. What scenes in those movies should we be looking out for to try to see you? Actually, you won't see me in those two movies because I'm actually stunt rigging behind the camera 
If I was in a stunt, it wasn't a big one. It would be background. We're getting a little older now, so it's better for me to be on the other side of the camera. And what does it take to be a great stuntman or stuntwoman? Well, first, I think you have to love the business so much that you are passionate about it. You really should have an incredible skill set, either come with a fighting background, motocross, as I did, but some physical form of, you know, sport or whatever that a gymnast something that would uh, give you the skills you need to do stunts. You are, like I'm effectively sitting in front of stunt royalty in the in the movies, but you're also a guy who's led a life that I can't believe hasn't actually been made into its own movie as yet. You have had so much going on, it's almost difficult to contain it within a very short interview, but you've had not just the highs of the movie industry and you're a motocross rider when you were younger, but you've also been a guy who's experienced a lot of personal tragedy, substance abuse, divorce and prison time. Well, that's right, isn't it? That's right. So, like, you've led such a checkered life, and you were just saying to us before, there's something better than now working in these amazing, huge movies. Then you've got to let us know what the answer is. What's better than all that? A personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything else does not satisfy. I don't care how big a stunt you do, you always need to do a bigger one. I don't care how much money you make, you always have to make more. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing truly satisfies in your heart uh, until you have that personal relationship with God when you, you know that you know that it's real. Given all the things that you've experienced across your life, particularly the, the lower points, um, drug addiction, the prison time, divorce, all that kind of thing, how do you reflect on it now? Uh, <laughs> well... I see it as a platform of ministry because all the things that I've been through, there's a Bible verse I love, uh, Romans 8:28, and we know God causes all things to work for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And once you accept that and you know you're working for God, then really nothing going wrong. You have some hard things here and there, but they can all be used to help others. My drug addiction now can be used to help people get off drugs because they won't talk to somebody or believe in somebody who's never been through it. But I have. I've been through prison. I've had my children taken away. I've lost a child. So these things all help you relate to people and they open up and they'll accept help. One of the best and worst things about working on the big picture is we, the best, we get to meet really cool people like Will Harper. The worst is we can't just run him for an hour as he talks out his whole life story. We meet plenty of interesting people. To find out Will's life story, though, go to Google, put in Will Harper, stuntman, Christian, and find out more about that guy. My goodness, he's had an extraordinary life. Ben, Mark. The Great Wall of China, Mm. a construction that has captivated the minds of the West and the East for well over a thousand years. Well, it's about to amaze a whole new generation of moviegoers. Matt Damon leads a cast uh, lined with stars from the East and West in a historic adventure that might leave most of its history behind. Well, Mark took a look, and it looks like he'll be regretting learning what very little he could about this film. What was that? There are many things you have not seen. The Great Wall is the only barrier keeping the world safe. Mother of God. What is it they want? To feed. 
Matt Damon enters this tale as William, a soldier of fortune who set off for the Far East with his companion Tovar Pedro Pascal to find the legendary black powder of the Chinese people and bring it home for Krakenite or, uh, I don't know, European warfare, something like that. <laughs> anyway, William and Tovar end up running from bandits right smack bang into the Great Wall of China. And there they discover a fortification that took 1,500 years to build and the best soldiers of the empire mass to repel a terrifying invasion. Oh, so this is just an historical piece then, Mark? Not a chance. <laughs> this is the silliest piece of rubbish I have ever seen. Ever? I will now say ever again, just to emphasise that point. You think... It, it, look, it's Whoa. got a, a, a thin, thin veneer of history about it, but it's got... Then, then all of a sudden we understand that the whole plot turns on the fact that a huge meteor landed, okay. aliens spilled out of okay. it, the secret warrior societies yes. with bizarre mechanical weapons who are all able to bounce over the wall and back. They, who think Sounds the most plausible. Effect- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most effective way of fighting involves huge rubber bands. But but there are lots of films that combine idea, like elements and ideas and things that you may not think would go together and then sometimes they do and then, say, other times they don't like Wild Wild West which is a movie that Will Smith filmed that people haven't really talked about since it came out but often you get these ideas that come out sometimes they work sometimes they don't The Great Wall I'm taking it doesn't hold these things together I'd like to put your own evidence back at you Wild Wild West <laughs> So it's the one film that Will Smith will never put on his resume <laughs> it is an appalling film and The Great Wall tops it Okay, the, so it's not so silly, it works. Look, it, it is so silly. It, look, it is the biggest budget Chinese film ever. Okay, uh, so it uh. had all the money it ever needed. Um, it, it's directed by Zhang Yimou. Okay, so House of Flying Daggers, yeah. Hero. And it's a fantastic He's made film. some great uh, stylish martial arts films. And it's not lacking in acting talent. Okay? Matt I mean, Damon. He's no slouch. Mm. Okay, unless, of course, he's wearing leathers and Chinese armour. Okay, <laughs> he, he mopes around the screen like somebody looking for a battle to fight but disappointed that he's only got great big green aliens to work with. Um, it, it, not, it didn't just, you know, bend reality or suspend it. It suspended it over the wall, dropped it, drove a truck over the top, came out with a dancing troupe and stomped the remains into the dirt. <laughs> this is the reality is just not there. The only reason I can believe that this film was made was that somebody drove up a truckload of money to Ben out to sorry not Ben Affleck. They probably offered his it close to, mate they Matt probably Damon offered it to Ben Affleck and he said get Matt to do this one. But they drove it up to Matt Damon's lawn. They dumped the money on the lawn and they kept on dumping those truckloads of money until he finally said yes. No one could read this script and say that's an idea. <laughs> it's just maybe they thought it was going to be an animation. You know, maybe Matt Damon thought, yeah, this is an animation because it's too improbable for live action. Now, Mark Hadley, you're doing a very good job of <laughs> knocking down this great wall. Uh, but I want to know, is there any way you can redeem it? There must be something good about this film that it teaches us, perhaps. There is a lesson strangely buried at the heart oh, of this. Phew, okay. a as, redeeming feature. As Matt Damon, um, that great Asian actor, masses with the rest <laughs> of the Chinese uh, to repel this invasion of aliens who dropped out of the sky on a meteor, um, we learn that greed is bad. And you shouldn't steal gunpowder in the middle of an alien invasion. That's a moral that we can all take home. I feel it's something that we can apply to our day-to-day lives. Do not 
under any circumstances, <laughs> if you're repelling an alien invasion, spend time stacking gunpowder on a cart you yourself intend to drive. That is silly, people, and should not be attempted <laughs> at home. Look, um, I think it. if, if mm-hmm. there's anything to be said about this film, it's basically a, a really ham-fisted attempt to say that greed is bad and putting other people first is good. And there's nothing wrong with those morals, but they just seem childlike in the hands of such an inept film. Well, the not-so-great wall opened on February 16th, so maybe if you wait another week, it might be gone. You might need to, <laughs> not need to have that as an option at, yeah, for your movie going. It stars the very well-paid Matt Damon, Willem Dafoe, and Pedro Pascal, and it's rated M for fantasy, themes, and violence. Now, gentlemen, speaking of walls and outrage, if you go across to insights.uca.org.au, you can check out a feature over there called Don't Let Your Outrage Define You, where Big Picture Regular and Insights Editor Adrian Drayton is delving into the media realm and how we can often, when we're online, tear each other apart. We can put up walls between us and them with our rants and our raves and our thoughtless comments and that kind of thing. He's basically trying to tear those walls down and get us thinking about why our walls of outrage are being built up in the first place and what can we do about it. If you go to insights.uca.org.au, you can check out that feature from Adrian and Insights is a massive supporter of the Big Picture program. Welcome back. We are doing the top five Oscar crimes part two. Yes. Because uh, last year, Mark did the top five Oscar I crimes. I my spleen. Really? He really had a go at the Academy Awards because it turns out that, well, Oscar doesn't always get it right. <gasps> ben Affleck. And there's been so many occasions. <laughs> the sound of the orchestra here, Ben? <laughs> yeah. There's been so many occasions that hasn't got it right. We thought we could do it again this year. So hence the top five Oscar crimes part two. Five. Two words, Tom Cruise. (laughs) Tom Cruise. That bloke hasn't won an Academy Award. Now, no matter what you think of Tom Cruise as a person, and even as an actor, I challenge you to go back over that guy's career Mm. and look at some of the major film that he's been in and then Mm. have a think about why it is that he has not won an Academy Award. He's been nominated three times. He he scored a Best Actor nod for Born on the Fourth of July in 1990 and for Jerry Maguire in 1997. Like, I think movies, even like Rain Man, he could have got up there for at least Best Supporting Actor. He was nominated in 2000 for Best Supporting Actor for Magnolia. I'm not advising people rush out to see that movie. It's a very mature film, a lot of bad language and, and other content that could disturb you. But his performance in that film is incredible and one of the greatest roles that he has turned out as this self-help guru he's also got this self-loathing complex going on and a terrible relationship with his dad that role in magnolia in the year 2000 he should have taken that little golden statue but michael kane took it off him because michael kane won for cider house rules which is a movie no one remembers even michael kane's performance in it don't remember and michael kane's already got one of these little best supporting actor statues he needed a second one to hold the books together Uh, he won one no he doesn't need two he won one in 1987 for for hannah and her sisters and he stitched up tom cruise back in the year 2000 that's why tom cruise makes it at number five you're right Flashing way back now, gentlemen, to 1950, which I'm sure Sam remembers well. Um, 1950, Best I was, Actress. I was only 21. <laughs> <laughs> best Actress category in 1950. Who was up? I, I know you guys can remember, but I'll just, I'll just refresh your memory. Gloria Swanson was nominated for Sunset Boulevard, which is one of the most famous film noir inside Hollywood movies the world's ever seen. 
Gloria Davis and Bette Davis for All About Eve, which was also um, all about the finer work, the behind-the-scenes nurse of the show business industry. Bette Davis, All About Eve, she was nominated. Both those women, Gloria Swanson and Bette Davis, who whose performances have come to shape a lot of uh, mm. pop, a lot of thinking about female roles up on screen. Gloria Swanson, Bette Davis, they were both beaten by someone called Judy Halliday in Born Yesterday. Mm. Who remembers Born Yesterday? No one. Let's listen to the crickets. I know. No one's ever talked about Born Yesterday ever since. It's, it's an outrage, gentlemen, an outrage. Since 1950, this has been going on for what? That's however many years now. 67 years. Gloria Swanson and Bette Davis pipped to the post by Judy Holiday. Judy Holiday. <laughs> Three. We'll get calls over there. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Judy Holiday fan club can come and see me. Number three, this is ridiculous. In 1994, Forrest Gump won Best Picture. And do you know who it was up against? Uh, Hang on a second. So you're taking issue with Forrest Gump getting Best Picture. One, that's a crime that that won Best Picture. I don't... don't, Stand alone. I I do not care, Sam, that you like that movie. (laughs) I think that film is so overrated. I can hear the third theme playing somewhere and tears falling down my face. How many people haven't done the Life's uh, Like a Box of Chocolates? (laughs) Great. You get the wisdom of Life is Like a Box of Chocolates. That wins an Academy Award. Run, and and it, It was... And run, Forrest, run. And that was up against Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yikes. I did not realise that. It yeah, was up against you. Shawshank Redemption. Up against and Pulp Fiction. Oh! Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's Tarantino. Now, Pulp Fiction went on to... But he went on to revolutionise modern filmmaking largely through that film, Quentin Tarantino, and Shawshank Redemption still remains the number one, the highest like voted, popularly voted film on IMDb's mm, top 250 true, list. True. Up against Forrest Gump, that overrated, overplayed, ham-fisted, sentimental journey through American history. Please. It 1990, ping pong. Ugh, 1994, that was an Oscar crime. Two. But not nearly as much as across, this is like decades of Academy Awards handing out. The fact that if you thought Tom Cruise not getting an Academy Award was a crime, Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick both have not, did not ever win an Academy Award. Are you serious? Let me repeat that. Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick never won an and this Academy is number Award. Two? This is at number two. A That's point. right. There's a certain point in which people become so successful that I think that the Academy just resents them. But I, 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 I went was going back through the archives of the Oscars and you know getting my outrage on and was trying to come up with theories of why and I can't really. I can't. I, you know, there's, there's got to be other years where they were up against others that okay they deserved it. But across, <laughs> across the scheme of those two gentlemen's mm. filmographies, how could they possibly not have won that little statue? Um, another. Another honourable mention or dishonourable mention is the fact that in 1970, Francis Ford Coppola was not Best Director, even though The Godfather won Best Movie, Best Actor and Best Screenplay. But apparently the guy who directed it doesn't deserve yeah. anything. Not, not really involved in the problem. Not integral. And here's another nod to actors out there. Cary Grant never won an Academy Award until he got one of those lifetime ones thrown at him in 1970. That's like when people realise they did the wrong thing. That's right. But they, they apparently Oscar hasn't even realised that yet because one of those has not been thrown at Alfred Hitchcock or Stanley Kubrick. One. But that is not nearly as... Just, as loathsome a crime. As deplorable as the fact that in 1941... Citizen Kane was not crowned Best Picture 
that year. Mm. Now, for, even if you... <laughs> this is mm. like we as film supporters sit there and go, oh, yes. Exactly. That's and other people are sitting out there going, what? That's that's what I was going to say. About to point out, um, even if you've never seen Citizen Kane, plenty of people haven't. You must have heard that film's reputation, whether you're a film nerd or you're not, whether you're a film lover or you're not, you must have heard about what Citizen Kane has done, did do for film. Mm. Now, it wasn't mm. huge when it first came out. It, it became... His reputation grew and grew and grew. But... The, f- the fact that it couldn't grab a little statue back in 1941, it says something about the voters back at that time, or, I don't know, maybe they had some bent against, aw- against awesome wills, or maybe William Randolph Hearst, who the film is allegedly based on, like, he was a big media magnate at the time, maybe he stifled it. I-, I don't know what, I don't know. But that, to me, across the sweep of Oscar history, history was like the biggest travesty that I could come up with. But as I was thinking about this, like, list, that put it together, and just getting, like, fired up about, how dare you, how could you possibly not give this thing an award... It points out that I think that greatness is really subjective. Like mm. it depends on who's saying it, who's voting, and who, and what time, and all, and all that kind of thing. And often greatness can feel that way. But it depends, I think, on who's voting or who's saying, you, telling you that something's great. And as I flick through pages in the Bible, like getting into the if, if book of Ephesians in the New Testament, like in the first chapter, it talks all about the greatness of Jesus. And who's saying that? God. Now, if God is talking about the greatness of Jesus, I think I might take a listen to that rather yeah. than as I go back through the Academy Awards history, get all fired mm, up mm. and still think, yeah, but that was just some voters back in 1941. Still, it was an outrage, Sam, an outrage. And But in honor of the outrage, let's play a little bit of Citizen Kane. Charles. I think I should remind you of a fact that you seem to have forgotten. Yes. That you are yourself one of the largest individual stockholders in the public transit company. The trouble is you don't realize you're talking to two people. As Charles Foster Kane, who owns 82,364 shares of public transit preferred, you see, I do have a general idea of my holdings. I sympathize with you. Charles Foster Kane is a scoundrel. His paper should be run out of town. A committee should be formed to boycott him. You may, if you can form such a committee, put me down for a contribution of $1,000. My time's... On the other hand, I am the publisher of the Inquirer. As such, it's my duty, and I'll let you in on a little secret. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hard-working people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Seriously, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. It's like one of the seminal films of cinematic history. That's right. Well, coming up next week on the show, we are out of time for this show, uh, I should say. Because we're going to go and get our beauty sleep before the Oscars <laughs> to find out what crimes will be committed tomorrow. I'm going to put my face on. <laughs> That's right. But coming up next week, Jasper Jones and the serious issues in small town Australia. Jessica Chastain is Miss Sloan, a power broker whose power gets broken. And the top five political dramas that will make you take an interest in politics. Next week, gentlemen, I'm not going to be Oscar. I'll just be Ben McCagan. And I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 